Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Uh, just want to add my amen to the Sexual Integrity 101. Um, don't go without help. Don't live in the darkness. That's my message this morning in one way. Um, but as we were worshiping this morning, the Lord says, I've given you much, but you need more. I've given you much, but you need more. I was someone who lived much of my life content with barely enough. Barely enough. I thought, that's good enough. I have enough. But the Lord wants to do more. David said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. I want to speak to you about the abundant life this morning. If you turn with me in your Bibles to John the 10th chapter, we're going to begin there. And I've been trying to, over the last month or so, put into words something that God put into my heart, which is how to express His abundance. How to express His abundance. I was with um, Bruce McDonald in, in Niger, which is one of the poorest countries in Africa. And uh, he and I were having a talk as we rode along. Somebody else was driving. As we rode along, we were just talking. And he says, John, aren't you amazed at how richly the Lord has blessed our lives? He says, I want to write a book about the blessing of God that comes upon their life when they give their hearts completely to Jesus Christ. I said, that would be wonderful because I, I feel the same way. How can you express the abundance of the Lord Jesus Christ? About that time, we saw uh, an African combi that's spelled with a K, K-O-M-B-I, uh, an African combi, and, uh, and uh, it was an old African combi. The new ones are in South Africa. The older they get, the farther north they go. This was an old combi. And uh, it was full of people. There must have been 20 people in the combi, arms and legs and heads sticking out of every window. And then, but the amazing thing was is the top of the combi. I mean, the combi is only like this high. And on top of this combi was an eight or nine foot stack of baggage. And I, I told Bruce, I says, we need to take a picture of that combi and put it on the, the front cover of your book about blessing because you can't contain the blessing of God it is overflowing it's an abundance Jesus said this in John 10 10 he says the thief does not come except to steal to kill to destroy I have come I have come that they might have life and that more abundantly. Whew. We're going to focus this morning on the second part of that. Life more abundantly. But I, I, I believe it's important that we not only talk about the abundance, but we talk about it in contrast to the option. I found this expanded translation in the book by Rick, 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 Rick Renner. There we go. It came out. 
Okay, this is an expanded translation. Okay, this is amplified, amplified, expanded, squared. Okay, this, listen to this, though. The thief wants to get his hands on every good thing in your life. In fact, this pickpocket is looking for any opportunity to wiggle his way so deeply into your personal affairs that he can walk off with everything you hold precious and dear. And that's not all. When he's finished stealing all of your goods and possessions, he'll take his plan to rob you blind to the next level. He'll create conditions and situations so horrible, you'll see no way to solve the problem except to sacrifice everything that remains from his previous attacks. The goal of this thief is to totally waste and devastate your life. If nothing stops him, he will leave you insolvent, flat, broke, cleaned out in every area of your life. You'll end up feeling as if you are finished and out of business. Make no mistake, the enemy, is ultimate, his ultimate aim is to obliterate you. But <laughs> I came that they might have, keep, and constantly retain a vitality, gusto's vigor, and zest for living that springs up from deep down inside. I came that they might embrace this unrivaled, unequaled, matchless, incomparable, richly loaded, and overflowing love to the maximum. Okay, which curtain do you want? One or two? No, you do not want what the devil's got behind curtain number one. You want what God's got behind curtain number two. John misunderstood. He thought there were two curtains with wonderful stuff behind him. But I'm just trying to set a contrast between what the devil does and what God does. What the thief does and what the Savior does. It's important that we see this. Jesus pulls no punches. He leaves no confusion. He sets before us a stark contrast between the thief, Satan, and the Savior, Jesus. The Savior says, I've come that they might have life and let me, and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, the first thing I want to say to you this morning is there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. No, uh-uh. You can't do that with this. You either have this or you have that. There's no middle ground. You know, occasionally you hear the newspapers report on the results or radio or whatever, the results of a certain poll, a political poll. So many are for this, so many are for that, and these are undecided. There was a political group in the mid-1800s who could never make up their minds about anything. They were in the middle, trying on, kind of on, the, on top of the fence, on trying to be on both sides. And some political uh, writer called them mugwumps because their mug was on one side of the fence and their wump was on the other. And there are a lot of Christians who are mugwumps. 
Their mug is on one side of the fence and their womp is on the other. They want a little of both. Right? I had some friends growing up, they were religious. I decided that they went out and sowed wild oats on Saturday night and came to church on Sunday to pray for crop failure. <laughs> they were mugwumps. They wanted to sin and have a Savior who would erase the consequences and give them another break. But they couldn't make up their mind between serving the thief and serving the Savior. We have to make up our mind what we want to do. Okay? Jesus said, just one choice, really. The thief steals, the Savior gives. The thief takes life, the Savior gives life. The thief destroys, the, devil, the Savior restores. One gives you hopelessness, and the other gives you happiness. Jesus came to give us life more abundantly. Life more abundantly. The word abundance in the Greek means much more. Greater both in quality and quantity. In other places in the New Testament, it's translated over much. God overdoes it. It's an abundant life. And that's what I want to emphasize this morning is what that means. Amen. The Christian life is a wonderful life when it's lived in faith and in fellowship with the Lord. As a child in Sunday school, I, I learned to sing a little song. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Jesus saves and keeps me, and he's the one I'm living for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Woo! See, now you have it, the singing pastor. Right. See, I, I have a hobby. I'm, I'm writing songs about sewing machines. Yeah, I'm writing songs about sewing machines. You might call me a singer-songwriter. <laughs> or so it seems. <laughs> Woo. But going back to every day with Jesus. Going back to every day with Jesus. I have been a Christian for more than 60 years. And I can tell you this morning, that song is true. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. When I think it cannot get any better, guess what? It does. It does. Because every day you live and follow Jesus, he does wonderful things in your life. And he does wonderful things through your life. And it keeps getting Better and better and better. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Judy and I often sit in our home and together and just ponder how good God has been to us. Mm. How wonderfully he's blessed us. 
We gave our lives to Jesus at an early age. We sought to follow him the best we could and serve him as faithfully as we could. And uh, this year we celebrate 50 years of marriage and life together. So, because of Jesus, uh, uh, we, we have this incredible life. And it's not necessarily a life without trouble or struggle, but it's a life that is filled with such an abundance of love and joy and peace that it is, it is a totally different quantity and quality of life. And this isn't just for pastors. This is for whosoever will. Men, I read in, in one of Charles Spurgeon's book, he went in this, uh, he was invited in this little simple home uh, of a vi in a village in England. And here was a, a man and a woman, and, and they were just very, very plain, common people. They didn't have much. A small home, Pastor John, in the countryside of England, uh, humbly um, fashioned. And they were sitting at a wooden table with two wooden chairs. And there was a simple meal set before them and a nice loaf of bread there on the table. And they were bowing together in prayer. And the, the husband was saying, oh, Lord, we have all of this in heaven, too. You see, this, this man didn't count his abundance in the number of things he possessed. But in the richness of his soul and what Jesus was doing in his life. That was why he said, all of this and Jesus too. Amen. This is what the Lord has for each one of us. Amen. We know that it's possible. Jesus is the wonderful ingredient that makes everything in life better gives it its true meaning, its true value, its true riches. But how do we partake of this abundant life? That's, I want to share with you just this morning, a little while, on how to share, how to, how to really share this abundant life. You might turn with me, if you will, to Colossians, the first chapter, the 12th and 13th verse. I had a ribbon in it. Now I can't find a ribbon. There it is. Okay. Here's what it says. Colossians 1, 12 and 13. Giving thanks to the Father, who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us, hallelujah, from the power of darkness, and he's conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom of his, the son of his love. I love that. The son of his love. He's translated us. Translated us. Hey, remember, you remember, I can't remember if it's Star Wars or whatever it was called, where he said, beam me up, Scotty. Star Trek. What do I know? Anyway, but beam me up. 
And some of you just need to say, beat me up, Jesus. Get me out of this darkness. Get me out of this terrible place. Get me out of this miry clay. Translate me into the kingdom of your son, Jesus Christ. I want to be translated. I want to be moved instantly from here to there. I don't know about you. I don't like moving. Because number one, we usually stay in a place a while. When it comes time to move, oh my goodness, you find stuff you didn't even know you had. And you got to put it all in a box, load it in a truck, figure out what you're going to keep, what you're going to get rid of, take it to the new house, try to figure out where it goes. It's terrible. But I'm not talking about moving gradually. I'm talking about moving instantly. We're translated. We're beamed up from darkness into light. I want to set this before you this morning as a reality. I know what I'm speaking of. Because I know what Jesus has done in my life. You may not believe this. It's a little still it's hard for me to believe it. When I was in high school, I wanted to be like everybody else, guys. So I decided if I was going to be like everybody else, I had to swear and talk the way they talked. So I learned to use profanity, bad words, unclean things. I got really good at it. I just wanted to be like them. I didn't become like them. I became better than them. One night, the coach was giving us a ride home after a basketball game. We'd gone to another town to play basketball, and he was bringing us home. And I was in the back seat with one of my friends. And I was just using my language. And that coach turned around, and he says, Ingstrom, you have the filthiest mouth of anybody I know. Now, when he said that, kind of shock factor, maybe I've overdone it. Maybe I've gone a little too far. Now, it's funny because this guy who swore all the time and used bad words, every night before I went to bed, read a few scriptures, got down on his knees and prayed to God Almighty. And I had an experience a few years earlier when... I was playing ball with some friends of mine in our front yard that was surrounded by a wall, and I, and I ran after a ball. Somebody threw me the ball. I dropped it, and I went, oh, hell. And then I saw my father, and I went, <laughs> and changed hell to help. Because <laughs> I knew what would happen to me if my dad caught me saying hell. I would experience it. Then anyway... <laughs> But that night, one night, I was on my knees. And I said, Jesus, or the Lord spoke to me. And he said, John, you don't swear in front of your father. I don't want you to swear in front of me. <gasps> I said, okay, Lord. Okay. And the Lord took it. Instantly, it was gone. I can't even remember those words except when I'm around people who still use them. They haven't been translated. They haven't been picked up and planted in a different place. But the Lord worked a miracle in my life, and those words went away. And the Lord kept dealing with me, dealing with me. A couple of weeks before we got married, I was in North Carolina working on a barn. We were putting up 
corrugated tin on the side of the barn and trying to drive nails through corrugated tin. Any of you ever tried to do that? You hit that nail and it just bounces. You have to keep hitting that nail till it finally goes through the tin. So you just keep swinging that hammer harder. Well, finally, you hit the wrong nail. And I cracked my fingernail all the way from the here back to the quick. And I mean, the pain just shot through me. And I popped my thumb in my mouth and just fell to my knees. Because, I mean, it hits you right behind the knees. Just, ugh! And I am just sucking on that thumb as hard as I can. Oh, man, that hurt. Finally, the pain was relieved a little bit. And I went back to work. And at lunch that time, I'm sitting, at lunchtime, I'm sitting down. We're eating next to this barn. And there's a guy across from me. His name's Grady. And he says, John, you're the first real preacher I ever met. I said, Grady, what do you know? You never heard me preach. He says, yeah, but when you hit your thumb with that hammer, any preacher I knew would have let out a string of profanity, and you didn't. Lord transplanted me from this place to this place. I couldn't do that by myself. But he did it for me. He spoke to me, and when he spoke to me, and he said, John, I don't want you to cuss in front of me. He translated me. He transconveyed me from here to there. The power of God is real to transform a person and translate them from here to there. So I want to share with you that one of the greatest ways to experience abundance is to let the Lord pick you up out of that dry, desert, rocky, dusty soil in a barren land and plant you in the soil of a garden of his love. To translate you from darkness to light. I mean, that darkness can be so deep, it seems like there's no way out. But the Lord can in a moment... Turn midnight into noontime as he translates you from darkness into his marvelous light. That's abundance. That's one way we experience abundance. Let the Lord transplant you. Let him translate you. Because Peter says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why we sing. That's why we sing. Because we have been translated from this to that. Thank you, Jesus. We also experience abundant life by being transformed into his image. This is what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, 12 and following. Therefore, since we have such hope, we're stuck on hope this month, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. 
But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains un, up, unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the, veil, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses was read, the veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, we don't need to hide our faces, people. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Men. As a parent, one of the nicest things people can say to him is, your child looks just like you. Or your child is like you. Okay, I, I didn't want him to be like me except like I am in Jesus. But the thing is, is that uh, they, you know, it's, it's just a compliment when somebody says, you, you, they look like you or they talk like you or whatever. It's kind of a, little pat on a parent's back. God created us to look like him. Created us to be like him in his image. But when Adam sinned, that image was marred, warped, perverted. We became something different than what God created us to be. Moses had a conversation with the Lord that was face to face. It lasted for 40 days and nights on the mountain in the wilderness. When he came down the mountain, his face was shining so bright the children of Israel couldn't even look at him. So he put a veil on his face, and then over a period of time, that glory faded because that was a glory that passes away. That was under the old covenant. That was under the law. Amen. But when Jesus Christ came, he came to lift that veil from our faces. So first of all, we could see and understand when we read Scripture, we would see Jesus. And we would understand and we would believe in him and we put our trust in him. But the other thing is he needed to lift that face because we're going from glory to glory. There ain't nothing to hide. Right? Why is it important that we escape pornography? Because then we can quit hiding, and the Lord can reveal us as his sons, the sons of light. But you see, that takes place because we are transformed into his image. The word in Greek is metamorpho. You come into a new shape. You come into a new be being. You know, the, the caterpillar is one form and one shape, but then he goes into that cocoon and he comes out a beautiful butterfly there's such a big difference between a butterfly and a caterpillar i'll tell you what one he's ugly and fuzzy and wiggly and the other's beautiful okay well you see the lord has a new you and a new me in mind and when we look at him and we see him as he is and we see his glory and we see his goodness we are transformed. I had a miserable experience 
day before yesterday, played golf with a guy who needs Jesus. All he was is a man who didn't know Jesus. He needs Jesus. His language was worse than mine. Anyway, we just tried to be nice to him. You know, I'm going, Lord, should I say something? He says, well, if you told him something, he couldn't do anything about it. He doesn't know me. So, you know, asking him to change his language, like asking a leper to change his spots, ain't going to happen. So he didn't need a nag. He needs somebody to pray for him. He gets saved and comes to know Jesus. Then he can be changed. But he's just blabbing away. And then he's playing loud music. And the music he was playing, Sam was the, the what do you call him? The guy that just died. DMX. I thought that was it. And I'm not sure how to spell it. But he's playing an album by DMX. And I realized that he and DMX used to have the same vocabulary. Say so maybe DMX is just a little bit better at it than he is. So he could do it to rhyme. Nice little rhythm to it. Didn't make it any nicer, didn't make it any cleaner, didn't make it useful, nothing. Amen. I'm sorry DMX died in that terrible filth and perversion. But I realized something. This guy is just like the person he sings about. The person he sings with, the person he sings to, and the person he lets sing to him. In other words, this is a very clear example of somebody who becomes like what they worship. Ah, the Greeks knew this. The, the people who wanted to be drunk all the time worshipped the god Bacchus because Bacchus was always drunk out of his mind. Worshipping Bacchus, they became drunks. Worshipping Mars, they became violent murderers and killers. Worshipping uh, Venus, they became sexual addicts. They became like what they worshipped. And we become like who we worship. That's why worship is so important to the child of God. That's why worship is so important to the body of Christ. Because it's through worship that we become like the person we are worshiping. We can be transformed. We can be changed. We can be changed. You have a long time sometime you can ask my wife about me. And she can tell you Thank God he repents. <laughs> and he's been changed. Man, we, we had a sweetheart banquet here at the church about 20 years ago, and we were all asked to bring a picture from our wedding. And so Judy dug through the archives of our photos in the closet and found a picture of us the day we got married and put it in a little frame and set it up next to the door so we could bring it with us to the sweetheart banquet that night. And Julia, who was about six or seven years old, looked at it and said, Mom, you were married to a different man. She did not recognize me. <laughs> but life changes you, but you know who changes you more on the inside is Jesus. Amen. 
And I think it would be wonderful if our children come up to us and say, you're a different person than you used to be. You don't have to be a mean old cuss. You don't have to give everybody fits. You can become a loving, gentle, kind, gracious person giving to others, amen, as God has given to you, sharing with them the love that God has put in your life. You can be transformed into a wonderful child of God. Isaiah, speaking of Jesus prophetically on the cross, said his visage, his image, was marred more than any other man. His image was disfigured so our image could be refigured. And we could be changed back into the image of God by the Spirit of the Lord. We also have a triumphant, uh, abundant life because we can triumph through Jesus Christ. Triumph, okay? Translate, transform, triumph. Got that? Okay, now we're going to talk about triumph. Turn with me to Romans, the 8th chapter, the 31st verse. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and is risen and is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. That's not in the scripture. But Or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for slaughter. Yet in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I said earlier, abundant life is not life without problems or life without conflicts. Or is it life without suffering? But it is life without defeat. It is life without separation. We're not promised that there'll be no battles. What are we promised? <laughs> we are promised that we will be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved us. It still baffles me how many times I still try to fight my own battles. Okay? There's a little saying that says, the person who shows up in court to be their own lawyer has a fool for a client. The person who shows up without Jesus to fight their own battles. Okay, well, anyway, I won't say anymore. But I, I know, I know that many times I find myself fighting without having invited Jesus into the battle. I figure it's my problem, I have to deal with it. Well, I guess that's responsibility, but it's also kind of foolish because the Lord's standing there and saying, can I help? Can I help? Can I help? Can I help you, John? 
Can I come in and fight for you and fight with you against this enemy? That's what the Lord wants to do for us. Amen? Hallelujah. There's a song that says, If I hold my peace, let the Lord fight my battles. Victory, victory shall be mine. It's our part. There's a part. We have a part in it. And it's our part to stand in faith, to pray, to place our hope in God alone. Hope, folks. Hope, 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 hope. It's not that we have no human responsibility, but I want to tell you this morning, God's part is a lot bigger than ours. Amen. He can do what we could never do, and he will win the battle if we'll let him. So how do you have the abundant life? Let the Lord come in, fight with you, fight your battles, and be more than a conqueror through him who loves you. And the last way to abundant life that I'm going to share with you this morning, I could go on and on with this, but this is the last thing I'm going to say this morning, is that we have abundant life by knowing the total. I had to find another T, Pastor Jonathan. But by finding the total and complete love of God. One of my favorite passages of Scripture I've shared with you many times is found in Ephesians, the third chapter, verses 17 through 20. He says, I pray that Christ dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. We can't even grasp it because it passes knowledge. We can understand it some, but how do we understand it completely? So that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think. Amen? According to the power that works in us, the power of His love. That is the greatest power there is. You want faith. You want hope. Because there's three things that always remain. They'll remain throughout eternity. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest power in a Christian life is the power to love. But in order to love, you have to know love. You have to know the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Its height, its width, its depth, its length. You have to know the four-dimensional power of God that is in His love for us. I can't even begin to describe it to you this morning because it is unlimited. It is unending. 
It is eternal. It is amazing. Awesome. What do we use to describe the love of God? The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It stretches from the highest mountain reaches to the lowest hell. How do you describe the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? The Lord wants you to know that love in every one of its dimensions, and it will take us the rest of eternity to get it all down, folks. Because it's that great, and it's that good, and it's that wonderful, but it's God's love, letting God love you. Letting God love you. Okay, no more of this. I don't deserve to be loved. God don't care. He wants to love you. And nobody deserves to be loved the way God loves. While we were sinners, he died for us. While we weren't even paying attention, he died for us. He loved me before I knew him. And all my love is due him. Woo! Amen. The wonderful love of God that births abundance in your life. When that love explodes in your heart, when it explodes in your family, it begins to explode wherever you go. You carry the love of God with you. You know why Judy and I are, I mean, we were Baptists of the Baptists. We knew all of the dispensational arguments why the gifts of the Holy Spirit were not for the church today. And we were giving her poor Pentecostal roommate fits, especially me, because I knew all the arguments. But she didn't give up. She loved us. She loved us. She loved us in a way that we had never been loved before. She loved us unconditionally. We didn't agree with her. We gave her trouble. We did things that she didn't approve of, you know, all that. But she still loved us. And she took us to Pentecostal meetings. The first one was the World Pentecostal Conference in Dallas. She took us to poor Baptist and put us in a room with 15,000 Pentecostals. Scared the devil out of us. But we heard David Wilkerson share his vision for the very first time. And we heard a real prophetic message to the body of Christ and to the nation. But I think what happened was we all, she also, then she drug us off to a full gospel businessmen's meeting. And they always had them in a cafeteria where you could get sort of good food for a decent price. And so was, as se seminary students, we were budgeted down to the last nickel. So we scraped together three or four dollars so we could get us a decent meal in this cafeteria and hoping it didn't cost more than we had in our pocket. And we were going through the line, of course, sitting there, can I afford that? Can I want that? But I, anyway, we're making all of this decision. And anyway, this guy comes up and he says, I'm buying your supper tonight. <laughs> A guy had never seen us before. He loved us. Did something wonderful to say to us, there's a supernatural love that's operating in this place. And that night, Judy and I saw an incredible miracle as the woman who's sitting in front of us who had 
beside us and her shoulders. And we watched her during worship wanting to lift her hands and she couldn't get them over her head. But then this evangelist who was ministering that night called out a miracle and said, there's someone here who has bursitis and the Lord is healing you right now. And her arms shot straight up. And Judy and I were sitting like seven inches behind her and we heard the bones in her body crack and saw the crookedness go out of her limbs as she raised her arms to the Lord. And what brought us there was Barbara's love. What impressed us was the love of this man that we'd never seen before, who cared about some very poor, hungry students to make sure that they had knew that they were loved. And that love impacted our life. And after that, no matter what our doctrinal arguments were, we always went, but we saw the miracle. We felt the love. That's real. That's real. That's real. And we, we couldn't deny it. Shortly after, Judy was baptized in the Spirit. And then a few months later, this slowpoke came along and got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But anyway. But the Lord knew how to deal with me. But the thing is, it's the love of God that brings that abundance. Because until you are loved unconditionally, you don't know what it is to be happy. You don't know what it is to be blessed. But I'm telling you this morning, the love of God is pure, it's sweet, and it's complete. And God will love you in every part of your being. Pastor Patricia, who was one of the founders of this church, I knew her, and some many of us knew her in Utah before she married Pastor Doug. And so she moved out of Utah, came to Washington before the rest of us. And anyway, she married. She, the Lord had spoken to her about getting married, and Doug came along, and he had a keen interest in her and uh, wanted to marry her, but she, she, she was happy being single. But the Lord was putting some pressure on her soul and so she went on a 10-day fast uh, to see if this was God or not, and to submit, humble herself before the Lord so she would have the ability to do His will and not her own. And uh, so anyway, she said, I woke up on the 10th day in love with Doug. And that love changed her. There were so many empty places in her life because of all that she'd suffered and all the rejection she'd gone through as a minister. But there's one thing that Doug, I mean, Doug, he never thought anything was her fault. If there was something wrong, it must be my responsibility. I'm the head of the family. What did I not do that I should have done? He did not point his finger at anybody. In the church, he did not point his finger at us. He pointed his heart to the Lord. Lord, what do I need to do as the pastor of this flock to to help these people. I mean, here was a person who loved us and who loved us unconditionally. He died in 1998, and we went through a struggle for about a year and a half after that. And one night, I mean, I just I, I had a, an incredible dream. And I, in that dream, I walked into the room where Doug was at the last part of his life, and he was laying there on his bed. And I stepped through the door into that bedroom, and he said, John, it's so good to see you. Come over here. And he gave me a hug, and he said, I love you. And I know you're not supposed to commune with the dead. I wasn't communing with the dead. I was seeing a guy in a dream. 
But that love that he loved me still was real. It still existed. And that night I got a drink from that cup that gave me something that I needed. And there's people here today, Jesus wants to give you a drink of that cup of love, his love, because there's something you need in your life. There's some part of you that you still reject. There's some of you who still hate part of yourself. And you're trying to get rid of that. Give it up. You can't get rid of your wickedness. You can't get rid of your mo- all those things. Jesus can. Men. He's the one who can take that terrible junk out of our hearts. Quit trying to do it yourself and let him love you. Let him love you just the way you are. That's the power of his love. And that is the, that love brings this incredible abundance into our life. And if you will let God love you unconditionally. But Pat did something that in that fast. She said, one thing I insisted on was that the Lord showed me what was wrong with Doug. I said, why did you want to know that? said, because I was going to love him. I needed to love all of him. And if I could not love that weakest part, how could I love any? And how could I love all? And when he said that, it just... But it says to me something about the Lord. The Lord knows our weakness. He knows us. But he loves us. There's an old song we used to sing, He who knows me best loves me most. And I'm telling you this morning, the one who knows you best loves you most. And he wants to give you an abundance in your life. So what is it that you need from God this morning? What abundance? Where do you need greater abundance in your life? Where do you need a greater quality of, of love and, and, and goodness and blessing in your life? Let the Lord work in your life. The power of God is here this morning to break addictions. If you have an addiction you're struggling with, just get up here and give it to Jesus. But leave it here. We'll have the janitor come clean it up. But anyway, just leave it here. We're not afraid of the devil. We're not afraid of dirt. Because we know a God of love who cleanses the ungodly and who takes away our sins. But you have to come. You have to say it's sin. You can't say it's a habit. You can't say, well, some people like being an addict. Are you still an addict? You know who an addict is? An addict is somebody who's giving up everything to gain one thing he doesn't need. Or are you in recovery? Because somebody in recovery is giving up one thing to gain everything. And the Lord's saying, I want you to recover this morning. I want you to give up the darkness and take the light. I want you to give up the hate and take the love. I want you to be changed from who you are to who I am. This morning, I'm offering that to you so that you can have an abundance in your life.
Amen. The Lord is here to work miracles this morning. The Lord is working miracles right now. The power of sin is being broken. The power of strongholds is being pulled down. The Lord is setting people free right now. The Lord is healing bodies, things you've struggled with for years. I was an asthmatic for 20 years, but I got healed in one moment, and I have not had asthma for 30 years. That's the power of my God. I'm telling you, God heals the sick. God raises the dead. God does it. God does it through his son, Jesus Christ, through his love, through his blood, and by his spirit, and through his word. Amen. The word of God is here this morning to empower change and transformation in our life. The Lord said, you all are blessed, but you don't have enough. Will you stand with me this morning? And I want you to ask God for life abundant and that more. I'm come to give you life and that more abundant. So bow your head, close your eyes, and just between you and the Lord, tell him, Lord, I want that more abundance in my life. I want a greater abundance. Whatever it is that you need, whether you need transparency, planted out of the desert and into the garden that's called being born again. Whether you need to be transformed from being one kind of person to being another, to have that image of God reformed in your life. He's here to do that this morning. He's here this morning to bring you through the battle and to cause you to triumph in Jesus Christ. He's here this morning that you might experience the total and complete love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just keep your heads bowed. Just begin to to talk to the Lord. And you can pray with your understanding or pray with tongues. Just pray. Just pray silently between you, not silently, but quietly between you and the Lord. Just you and the Lord. Just talk to Him. Talk to Him about those things. Talk to Him. Ask Him this morning. Ask Him. Ask Him. Ask Him. He's here. Ask Him. Oh, I feel that miracle working power of God right now Lord's doing something in this place this morning let's sing that with Deborah spirit of the living God fall fresh on me
Amen. The Lord's speaking to some. Don't take those problems home with you. If you have a big problem in your life, just come up here. Get on your knees at this altar and leave it here. Just bring your problems to the Lord. Cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Just come quickly. Don't be ashamed. This is a house of prayer for all nations. So just come. If you have a problem this morning in your life where you need God to do something for you, just come up here. We're not going to pray for you. You're going to kneel before the Lord, your maker, and he's going to hear your voice, and he's going to answer your prayer. Hallelujah. Man, just keep coming. There's others here this morning. Don't take your problems home with you. You got problems at home? Come up here. Bring them here. Don't take them home. Man, it's okay to bring problems from home to church, but leave them at church. Don't take them back home. Come on. Come on. Come on. Jesus is waiting. Come on. Come on right now. Come on up here. There's more here who need to respond to what the Lord's doing right now. Amen, Jesus. God's working miracles.